Hello, and welcome back to CBONA's Partners in Focus series. I am Rachel King, Associate Editor to Central Banking. In November, world leaders, both from the public and private sector, descended on Glasgow for the COP26 conference. Their goal was to agree new commitments to accelerate the planet's move towards net zero. Now, central banks and financial supervisors are among those gathered and will ultimately play a crucial role in ensuring the commitments made are met within the next couple of years. Here with me to talk about how central banks are tackling the issue of climate change from a supervisory perspective is Andreas Sombrecht, who is the former Deputy Governor of Deutsche Bundesbank, a former member of the Supervisory Board for the ECB and of the Board of the BIS. He is also a Global Senior Advisor to a number of financial services providers, including Oliver Wyman. Thank you for joining me today, Andreas. Thanks for having me, Rachel. So one could argue that climate risk is a fairly new phenomenon for the central banking community. It only really appeared on our radar, I guess, within 2015, so only the last half decade, say. Given your experience within the central banking community, how would you describe their efforts towards addressing this issue so far? And, and would you say it's sufficient given where we are today? Yeah, that's uh, you know a very good question, and you're right. You know, we have been looking into climate change for a longer period of time, but we really didn't analyze, or nobody really did analyze in depth what this means for the economy and most notably for the financial sector. And we all know the importance the financial sector plays for the economy. It was actually uh, China uh, which did put this topic on their G20 agenda in 2015. Uh, then, of course, we had the uh, Paris Agreement in 2015, and last but by no means least, it was Governor Marconi of the Bank of England who, in a very, very important speech in 2015, put this uh, topic on the agenda. Since then, um, more and more central banks or got, got organized and organized themselves vis-a-vis -vis this topic. Uh, clearly, central banks have a different mandate mainly a price stability mandate, to some extent a financial stability mandate, some other jurisdictions mandate with regard to employment, and not really a climate-related mandate, but given the fact that climate change is the most dangerous risk, medium-term risk we, we are facing and the planet is facing, uh, no wonder that this topic um, plays an increasingly important role also uh, within central banks. Now, um, you asked whether this is sufficient, what is being done. I think um, the central banks are doing a lot. Um, and uh, they're doing this um, very, very thoughtfully because it is really not within their mandate. Um, but it, it touches their mandate, and that's why uh, more and more central banks uh, find this important, especially uh, Christine Lagarde the president of the European Central Bank has made this a big part of, of her work. Uh, but there is a network of central banks thinking about this and discussing issues. And central banks have a very important role today to a lesser extent in monetary policy, but to a larger extent as supervisors of banks. Um, they also transfer knowledge to those banks. And uh, by doing so, um, they enforce the risk management. Now, each every risk management consists out of three parts. It's about um, identifying risks, then uh, quantifying and uh, um, really 
understanding them, and last but not least, managing them. And in order to be able to manage and to quantify risks, you really need to identify them and understand them. And that's what we're um, doing right now, what central banks are doing right now, and that's where they can play a very good role being in touch with um, with financial institutions, mainly banks, in doing so. The insurance sector, and especially the reinsurance sector, has been thinking about this longer than the banking sector, but uh, uh, clearly uh, the banks are catching up, and it's important that the banks also put pressures on their uh, creditors and on their clients in order for them to um, give the banks data so that the banks can assess their risk much better, also with regard to client change. When I brought this topic up, uh, within um, uh, the Bundesbank and within uh, Germany and uh, the other uh, European countries, um, I was looking into blank eyes in 2016, and I did put it uh, this topic into the focus of my uh, 2018 um, Bundesbank symposium for bank supervision, which was my last symposium, uh, and uh, so. From from starting point, uh, bankers will really don't understand where the risks really are and what why this could be a job for central banks to really think about. But by now, everybody understands that it is such an elementary risk. I remember Rachel that maybe five or six years ago, when central banks talked about cyber risks, people didn't see the risks, and now they're seeing them very clearly. And the same is happening with uh, climate risk. Now, is this sufficient? What central banks are doing? I think. Yes, because they're doing it very thoroughly. They're doing it um, with a certain consequence. Um, we're going to talk about that probably later in, in this in this podcast. But I think uh, don't overstretch it, and let's don't get to the impression, or let's, let's don't give the impression that central banks can um, actually solve this issue of climate change. Of course, they can't, but they can assist in solving the issues. Uh, it's mainly the governments who can intervene uh, in the most efficient way, but central banks can also play their role. Yeah, I think that's right. There, there certainly are limits to what they can do. And as you said, they've they've started to help the financial sector make the distinction between the risks that there are, that are emerging. Um, and especially around transition risk, one of the options that they turn to is, is the trustee stress test, which they're now adapting towards climate risk. Um, but do you think this is an appropriate tool to help the financial system, given there's yet to be really any evidence that they work for climate risk? And if that's the case, yeah. do they need to evolve the models that they're using um, to ensure that they're not underestimating the effects that climate change will have? Very good. Another very good question. Now, uh, first of all, let me start by saying that I do believe that we are all still underestimating uh, the risks. Um, we are facing. This is because of the lack of data. This is because of the fact that you know the real biting effects, very biting effects of climate risk are maybe 30 years away. So we see it at the horizon, but when we see it close up, it for sure will be too late and we won't be able to turn it back. So we have a tendency of underestimating medium to long-term risks. Um, and uh, here uh, there is uh, no difference. Um, our stress tests are a very good tool for the central banks to actually send a message to the banks what to look out for. And uh, uh, certainly also, it is a tool for central banks to get a feeling 
to what extent um, the supervised entities are actually understanding the issues and their risks and how they are um, going about them. Let's, you know, just simply as a, as a comparison, look at um, cyber risk. Now, are the central banks, do they know more? Are they, better, are they better in terms of knowledge with regard to cyber risk than banks or maybe cyber risk experts? Of course they are not. But they, and they shouldn't tell actually banks go left or go right. But what they can do is they can try to understand is there one um, line of command within a bank? Does, is there somebody on the board responsible for cyber risks? Is there, is there enough thought being invested? Do they, what kind of models does this bank in question use to understand the risk position? And what are they doing? in order to mitigate the risk, et cetera, et cetera. So it's more of a plausibility control than anything else. And the same you can transfer on climate risk. So it is in this first step, the stress test is, I think, a very good tool to understand where is the sector, who are really the banks which are lagging, and where are the, uh, you know, the best in class and why. So and this is probably the best approach you can actually take in order to to, to get a foot into the door to understand where you're going. Now, as long as you don't put, as you don't ask the banks for capital buffers, uh, those stress tests may be seen as cumbersome and not very effective. But I can tell you, you know, if you really believe that this is the most uh, existential risk facing our planet, you will have to have very good answers. And uh, uh, also the investors at some point um, will actually demand from banks good answers uh, with regard uh, to how they, where they see the risk, where they see their direct risk, where they see second and third round effects, which are, of course, much more complex to assess, and what they want to do about that. So I find the stress test a very, very good example. We have seen this uh, in, in France and in the UK already. We're going to see it very soon from the European Central Bank, and I know from my former colleagues at the European Central Bank that they're putting a lot of effort, a lot of effort into this. And uh, I'm very interested to see uh, how then the, the findings of the stress test will then translate into the single supervisory discussions with single banks. Hmm. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how the banks sort of respond to the results of the stress test, because I mean, they aren't really having to do much at the moment in terms of sort of comply or explain other than other than that. But there will be a reputational risk, I guess, to them if they do come out sort of lower down within the rankings amongst their peers. Um, yeah. Now, and also think... within within the banks themselves, Rachel, you know, if you have yeah. a split board system, let's say like in a German bank where you have a supervisory board and a management board and you are sitting on the supervisory board and you're not asking questions with regard to those risks. Um, people will look at you and say, why didn't you really ask management to you know, provide more transparency on these risks? And so it's, uh, uh, it's very clear that something needs to be done. So there will be outside pressure from, from the supervisors, but there will also be inside pressure. And it mm -hmm. would also, I think, translate into banks uh, choosing the supervisory board accordingly and with people who ask those questions who are sensitive to these issues. So this, the, the society, the worry of the society of this will now, of course, be infiltrated into the banks. 
Yes, no, I agree. And I think the next step, obviously, past the test potentially could be prudential regulation. And the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision has tended to be the primary standard setter in this regard. Do you think they should take a stance with regard to climate risk? Yeah, I've been a member of the Basel Committee for a long time and uh, always enjoyed the time there. Uh, this is a global body. And uh, as I said before, I do believe that bank supervision is the more important part of central banking where you can, where you should have a position with regard to climate change, much more so than in monetary policy or in the markets divisions of central banks. So that's why I think that, of course, the Basel Committee will have to come up with a guidance, um, uh, with a, preferably with a global guidance, as much as we have seen COP26 uh, giving global, global guidance. This is also needed uh, from the Basel Committee, and I'm sure that uh, they're working on that already. We've seen some central banks, so here in the UK, the Bank of England's already informed markets that they're going to consult on whether capital requirements have a role to play in uh, the mitigation of climate-related financial risk. I just wanted to ask whether you thought there's an obvious way for climate risk to be integrated into current prudential frameworks rather than having to create new ones. Yeah, I'm, you know, that is obviously for all my successors to decide and not for me to, to give them hints as to what they should be doing. But let me, you know, let, let's just, let me just remind you and everybody else of the fact that there are always two ways of, you know, giving feedback to banks. One is in direct prudential measures. For that, you need to be able to quantify. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, by an overall ranking of the bank. And in this overall ranking, uh, uh, you, you know, which is called SREP, the ECB, um, you can also give feedback to banks in a, you know, in giving certain points, negative or positive. And uh, so there is an indirect way without a direct microprudential measure that you can give feedback and uh, that feedback will be heard and will be well, well received. We are still in a position, Rachel, that, you know, the customers of banks, the creditors of banks, themselves don't have very good data which they can give to the banks so it is uh, to my to my feeling uh, banks are advanced quite advanced vis-a-vis the corporate sector in terms of identifying potentially quantifying and at some later stage managing those risks whereas the corporate sector is not there at all let me remind you i know these examples are always very difficult but remind you of the brexit Mm-hmm. Uh, the financial sector was really very well prepared, but the corporate sector really didn't do much yeah. to prepare itself for it, and that's where we had all the problems. So uh, I feel, in a, in, a, in, a, in a way, we have the same situation here that banks, uh, you know, because of the pressure by the central banks, are preparing a lot in order to to get ready for for climate change and respond to climate change. But the customers, mm-hmm. there is a gap. Uh, between the knowledge and the uh, degree of sophistication, um, how climate change affects the business models and the and, and, and balance sheet within corporates vis-a-vis banks. And that's not something the central bank can really change, but it needs to take that into, into consideration, I believe. 
you know, efforts to ensure a transition to net zero is going to have to be a global effort. And I think all areas of the economy and all markets um, are going to have to increase their efforts somewhat. And one of the biggest commitments yet to be realised is obviously to set a global price for carbon. And that's going to have a huge impact on, on a lot of markets. And the financial world is going to have to deal with the spillover effects there. So to summarise, I wanted to ask you finally how central banks and financial regulators can ensure they work together with other authorities to ensure that that transition is as smooth as possible. So you've mentioned already, they can't solve everything, but they're going to have to sort of push forward where they can whilst maintaining as much independence as possible. And I just wanted to gauge from you how important that coordination is going to have to be and what approach they should take to that. Um, now, if there was one good thing about the global financial crisis, then it was that global coordination among central banks has really increased. I was there, to, as you mentioned, in the beginning from 2010 to 2018, and I saw how closely um, central banks are coordinating. And this area is, 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 a, is, a, is a major way um, where coordination is important because, for many, because first, you can learn from each other. Some central banks are more advanced than others, um, and some... Um, you know, regions and, um, uh, and, and and governments are more advanced than others. So why not learn from each other? So that's why coordination is helpful. Um, second, um, we are not in a in a race uh, against each other, but we are in a race together in order to uh, go to net zero. And uh, we can't uh, leave anybody behind. Some have to lead with, uh, with example but the others need to follow. And that's why coordinating is the most important thing. And there are so many bodies um, which, uh, which, which can help. Uh, most importantly, we have this network of central banks which really care about this issue. And uh, this is playing an increasingly important role and bringing in the experts um, both on, on board level and also below board level of those central banks together so they can learn from each other and they can profit uh, from each other, but also within the Basel Committee, within the Financial Stability Board, within all these bodies. Uh, uh, the IMF is playing an important role also, but that is not only central banks. Uh, and the World Bank, uh, the Bank of International Settlements, uh, they all have to work together and make sure that this is, that they're all pulling into the right direction. Never forget, central banks can solve the issue and central banks don't know better than others what really needs to be done. But they need to identify the risks for themselves and they need to find solutions together, um, putting into the same direction so that we, that we can all get to net zero in a foreseeable uh, time frame. because if we don't, it would be impossible to turn it back. No, I think you're right. And there's certainly no lack of ambition, as you mentioned. The, the network of central banks that has formed together has grown so quickly and so rapidly. And we are seeing the coordination, especially around the data and the models, progressing at rapid speed. I just hope that the speed is quick enough, given the dire strait that we're in currently. But um, I, I hopefully optimism will prevail and the market will get itself into good shape. And we'll see some of that ambition turn into concrete action. Yes, that is exactly the most important thing, because if it's only a fashionable topic with which you can enter the newspapers or the broadcast, then it doesn't help. The actions are important. 
So, uh, so once we have identified those risks, we really have to manage them. Definitely. So um, it's been an incredibly helpful discussion, Andreas. I wanted to thank you for your time. We'll have to convene again, say, in 12 months and see whether any of that ambition has turned into action. Let's do that. More than happy. Thanks. Always good talking to central banking.